With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Saturday Session with Daniel McCarty on SENZ. everyone and welcome into the Saturday session here on SENZ. Ben Francis with you through until 1pm today. No Daniel McCarty, but don't worry, he will be back next week. We have a very exciting show coming up for you today and we'd love for you to be involved. So give us a call 0800 150 811 or text us on 8833. And there is a reason why we had that wonderful song there, Careless Whisper. The beautiful, sexy Saturday here on the Saturday session because I am not on my own today. And boy, I am super, super excited to welcome in my co-host. I'm that excited. I even wrote him an amazing intro. Now, this man has had an illustrious career on the cricket pitch, playing in a whopping five test matches with an average of 10. He also hit the winning six to help New Zealand reach the 2015 Cricket World Cup final, which we know hurt my pocket, but we'll save that for another day. But he's also a great man. He's my favourite South African. And after a few months away, he is back. And that is Grant Elliott. Grant! Oh, Benjamin, what an introduction. Seriously, it's been uh, a long hiatus for me. And uh, there's a gift on the desk here, but I don't think it's from Daniel McCarty. I, it's definitely not. Uh, I don't think I've had an introduction like that, and I wouldn't get one from uh, my normal host, uh, Daniel McCarty. So it's an absolute pleasure being back. I've been up to quite a bit. Um, I've been in India. Um, I've had some, some funny experiences along the way. And uh, it's just great to, to be back on the show and looking forward to hearing from all those listeners out there, funny texts um, and phone calls, hopefully. But I woke up this morning, Ben, I've got an issue. I've got a stain on my hand. It's a brown stain, and I don't know where I got it from. It's a mysterious stain. I've thrown it out on Instagram, and I've had some very funny uh, comments uh, coming back. It's not fake tan, and no, it's not an espresso martini. So. Um, yeah, I'm not too sure what it is. I thought you maybe you'd been staining the deck outside the moat or something like that. Yeah, no. It, <laughs> no, not not from the estate. Not a lot of DIY done in my house. And when it is done, it's it's not done very well. But, um, yeah, I've got a little Dale stain on my hand. And um, the I guess the mystery of it will continue this morning. So if you've got any ideas out there, text it in. Double eight, double three. I'd love to hear what you think this mysterious brown stain could be. But we've got, we've got a great show, haven't we? We've got a great show lined up today, and um, there's a lot of sports happening. You know, the first thing that comes to mind is the Breakers uh, last night, and we've got 
the Super Rugby happening and uh, the Cricket Test match. So uh, plenty happening out there and plenty to talk about. Um, I don't know what's been top of the mind in the show uh, lately, Ben, but you know the start of the Super Rugby. Um, there's obviously the Chiefs have been dominant, and for those that watched uh, last night, probably not as dominant performances they've had in the past. Um, and whereas the Black Caps probably struggling in Christchurch, and we'll talk more about that um, a little bit later on. Who else have we got coming on the show, Ben? Yeah, so coming up next hour, we're going to have Justin Nelson to recap uh, Game 3 from Sydney last night where the Breakers went down. So tomorrow will be Game 4 in Auckland. So must win for the Breakers to send it to a decider. And very exciting news that this year, SEN and SENZ will be having live coverage of Supercars action. And we're going to have our commentator for that, Aaron Noonan, joining us after midday. And we've also, we're just going to have lots of great banter between us, Grant because, mate, it sounds funny saying this, and you're probably going to laugh saying this considering, you know, you say that Daniel and I give you a lot of grief, but we have missed you. The show has not been the same without you. <laughs> oh, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I've got to, I've got to hear that from Daniel's lips. Um, it, it's quite tough for him to give a compliment every now and then, but I am, I'm looking forward to it. It's been, been too long, um, and I've been listening to all the shows in the morning. So Izzy and staff have been on a, on a few shows. Um, and yeah, I've missed the boys, missed the Saturday morning. It's, uh, it's been great. One, and you know that I've got those, um, those tasks that I need to do. Um, we've got the sculling, we've got the, uh, fireman challenge running up, uh, um, the Auckland tower. I've got another one to add. Oh, don't forget the ski jump, ski jump into the Cadrona mattress or cushion. I'm a bit nervous for that one. Got a two two k erg, which I'm more than happy to do that one. I'm not too worried about that. But I actually sat next to Lisa Carrington at the Halbergs, and I was at um, well, it was the winners' table, but the losers' table. Like everyone that was at the table didn't get an award. So I was sitting next to Ajaz Patel. He was there, um, and there was Lisa Carrington, um, and then we had three other awards uh, or people that were nominated for awards. No one won an award, which is strange for Lisa Carrington to not win a Halberg because should be called the Lisa Carrington Awards. And um, she was talking to me about kayaking. And I said to her, oh, I've got all these challenges that I need to do on SENZ. What about a kayaking challenge? And she said to me, she said, I reckon you wouldn't even be able to last 10 meters in a kayak before you rolled over. <laughs> and I was like, hang on a second. Well, that's a challenge right there. I said, are you challenging me, Lisa? And she's like, yeah, I am. So... The funny thing about those kayaks, I didn't realize, but they obviously, um, you know, they, they almost circular. And just to stay up in the kayak is almost impossible. These K, I think they're called K1 kayaks. So there's another challenge that I've had uh, over the past few months that I've been away. Um, but the most challenging time, I think, was flying from Dubai uh, to back to New Zealand. And uh, two and a half hours into the flight, I said to the uh, cabin crew, I said, listen, uh, look at uh, Auckland Airport. It's under water. I don't think we're landing there. Um, and she said, no, it doesn't look like we will be. So I said, well, let's land in Melbourne. Uh, Aussie Open's on. That'll be good. And uh, six and a half hours into the flight, they sent us straight back to Dubai. So we had a 13-hour <laughs> flight to nowhere, which was awesome. And imagine being a family in a long-haul flight where you go, oh, I'm going to have to do that again. I've never seen people so unhappy in my life land at a destination. I mean, normally you're happy to get home or you're happy to go to a holiday destination. This was not a good feeling being at that luggage turnstile. So 
had a few experiences along the way. But I'm here, I'm in one piece, and uh, looking forward to chatting sport. There's actually one challenge you could attempt today, Grant, if you did want. It's not too far from you. Is that the Christmas present? No, no, it's not the Christmas. I don't know, I don't know anything about this present, but they have in, yeah. in Hutt Valley, they've got chili eating. So you could go do oh. that after the show. Well, I mean, you know how successful I was last time. Exactly. I, I just, I bit about a thumb's worth of a chili or just a thumbnail uh, nail's worth where it was Daniel McCarty that couldn't do the last 10 minutes of the show took a good helping of the uh, the Carolina Reaper I won't be doing that Ben um, as much as uh, I'd love to go up to Upper Hut and do some chili eating I don't think I will be doing that um, but feel free if you're in the Wellington area I highly recommend it it'll clean the pipes out nicely who was our friend that we had on the show the, the chili eating champ Oh, Jesse. Jesse someone. Yeah, Jesse Fire Eater. They've got some great nicknames. And um, you know that I've, I'm a, a stickler for, for nicknames. And, uh, yeah, that, I mean, you would think that they've got, you know, Iron Stomach Joe and, and those sorts of things going on. But love a nickname. And think as Kiwis, we need to get better at them. We definitely need to get better at the, at the nicknames. Maybe maybe your challenge for today, then, Grant, should be giving nicknames to all of our guests that come on the show. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll look them up. I mean, it's always nice to ask them what their nicknames are. And, uh, yeah, we've got Aaron Noonan coming on. And then um, we've also got um, Nelson coming on around the breakers. Uh, potentially Mandela uh, could be his nickname. Who knows? <laughs> But I have, I've, I've added them on Twitter, and I'm looking forward to having them on the show. Um, but it's been, it's been a, a, a real summer of cricket as well, uh, Ben. And I'm so gutted that I, I missed the, uh, the show when we had the English cricketers here, because one thing that hasn't come up about that England Test, which I find quite strange, because I was watching it in the office, and we put it on the big screen, and uh, the whole office was watching, you know, with bated breath to see what would happen and what would transpire. And um, a ball before James Anderson was judged out, caught behind, which he, he smashed the, the, you know, the leather off it, um, Wagner actually bowled a, a bouncer, which was wide. And the umpire, he didn't, I, don't, I felt he didn't have the guts to call a wide. And the reason being is because he thought five days of cricket, like I can't finish this game on a tie. But actually, a tie would have been the perfect finish between England and New Zealand. I don't and I'm put. sure the listeners, uh, I don't want to go back to super overs and bring up those bad memories. But it should have been a tie, which would have been so funny, um, just with regards to these two teams and what's happened and transpired in the years, especially after that World Cup. Yeah, totally. And coming up very shortly here, we will have swinging both ways where I will throw some very tough questions Grant Elliott's way as he has not, as he has been away. There's plenty, so much has happened with New Zealand cricket since you were last on the show and we'd just love to pick your brain in terms of know your thoughts on what has happened and uh, any questions from the listeners as well, please uh, give us a call 0800 150 811 or text us on double eight double three. But before that, we've got some headlines to get to, Grant. Yeah, well, the Sydney Kings, they've taken a firm grip on the NBL's championship series in front of the biggest crowd in NBL history. The Kings broke a run of five straight defeats for the home sides in matchups between the two clubs in the 22-23 season by claiming a decisive 
91-68 victory over the slumping New Zealand Breakers in Game 3 in front of an NBL record crowd of 18,049 at the Kudos Bank Arena. That's an incredible crowd. And they have said during that series that, you know, whoever can break the the home um, home advantage run will win the series. But Breakers look like they're up against it, and we'll hear more about that later when we chat to Justin Nelson in the next hour um, about the clash of these two teams and what the Breakers need to do to keep the, uh, the, the series alive. The Sri Lankan pace attack in Christchurch ripped through New Zealand's top order to have the Black Caps in trouble. They're reeling there at 165 for five. They're trailing by 193 at stumps on day two in the first test. Second test being in Wellington uh, next week. So if you are in Wellington, crack on there. Certainly was a great turnout for the England test. Um, we'll also discuss the opening two days of action in Swinging Both Ways, which coming up soon. All your cricket questions has been said at 0800 150 or text in double eight double three. In Super Rugby, the Chiefs have continued their perfect start to the Rugby Pacific season with an impressive 28-7 victory over the winless Highlanders at FMG Stadium. Fullback Sean Stevenson scored a second-half double to sink the lowly visitors and solidify themselves atop of the table as early competition frontrunners. Meanwhile, the Melbourne Rebels upset the New South Wales Waratahs 34-27. Don't forget to tune in to the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run with Justin Marshall and Ricardo Ball every Sunday from 1pm on SENZ. Thanks for that, Grant. And it's 13 minutes after 10 here. And Grant, just before we take the break, I actually do have something else for you to welcome you back. <laughs> Better not be the Grant song. Uh, it is, but it isn't. <laughs> okay, well, you, let's, let, would... let's hear it. Grant, Grant, Grant. Well, we'll see you after the break. What a great tune to take us I used to deploy the double box. Scratched around quite a while. I used to put two boxes, one on top of each other, and then tape them together. Put them in a jockstrap, and the first one used to cushion the blow, and the second one the vibration. That way, always felt safe. I don't know where else you'd wear a contraption like that. Very kind of you, Ben. Thank you very much for the intro. It's coming home. It's coming home, all right. <laughs> Grind is home. Hope you like that, mate. Yeah, no, it was bloody good, Ben. Thank you very much <laughs> for that. The intro, okay, now we can get stuck into each other. <laughs> all right, it's uh, 15 minutes after 10 here on the Saturday session. We'll be back after the break for Swinging Both Ways, where we discuss all things cricket here on SENZ. 
19 minutes after 10 here on the Saturday session. Ben Francis and Grant Elliott with you through until 1 o'clock today. Now it is time for Swinging Both Ways, thanks to PGG Wrightson Turf, key suppliers to New Zealand cricket grounds. And Grant, day three action from Hagley Oval between the Black Hips and Sri Lanka is going to get underway very, very shortly. What we, what have your thoughts been on the opening two days of the test? Yeah, I think, you know, I've got to share the sentiments of a lot of people out there. And um, a lot of people said, oh, really surprised we didn't bat first. And I think that that, well, come on. I mean, that that everyone knows that you bowl first in New Zealand. It's always been done. Um, I think the only ones that bucked the trend maybe were South Africa when they beat New Zealand recently. And Dean Elgar, when he um, decided to bat first, uh, I remember Mark Richardson coming into the commentary box and going, what? Like, that is the worst decision ever since Nasser Hussein. However, they won the test. Um, it is a little bit deceptive in, in Christchurch. I mean, very green, very bouncy, very quick. Um, and you have to bat well in the first innings. And, yeah, Sri, Sri Lanka, you know, they, um, they, they have batted uh, well and they batted deep 355. I think the concerning thing is, is not New Zealand being, you know, five down. 162 for five now going into day three. Um, but it's the fact that the pitch, you know, just speaking to a few people in Christchurch there, is there might be a little bit of scouring and a little bit of like scalloping out and indentations. So what happens is when it's green and maybe a little bit of moisture on top, is the bowlers might, you know, when they bowl and hit that length, it sort of creates that scalloping effect in the pitch. And then when you start pressing the pitch and the pitch gets a little bit harder, then what happens is you might get seam movement. So that might be what will happen later on in the test. So New Zealand have to bat themselves out of a little bit of a hole this morning. Um, there was obviously they lost three for nine um, in the, the middle stages there. So they were one uh, or 67 for none. And then all of a sudden they were 76 for three. So losing those three wickets, you always say you don't want to lose wickets in pockets. And that's exactly what New Zealand have done. I think where New Zealand have struggled in the past with Test cricket is the top three, and that's been the Latham, Conway, Williamson, arguably our best batters, but we haven't been able to string those partnerships together um, and those big scores. Tom Latham batted well. He batted deep, but unfortunately got out at a, a crucial time for the team. And Sri Lanka bowling well. You know, they, they're hitting a good length. They used to bowling quite full. Um, they're getting the ball to, to speak, and it's it's sort of seeming around. So... Yeah, I mean, Matt Henry and Tim Southey doing the damage. Five for Southey and four for Matt Henry. Just the one wicket for Michael Bracewell. But this first hour of the day where generally the ball will go around a little bit more, it is 63 overs old. So I don't have to worry about, um, you know, facing a new ball. But it will be about trying to weather this first hour of, um, of play because Southey's in next. So you would say, you know, with Mitchell and Bracewell at the crease, You've got two, you know, proper batters at the crease. Uh, I don't want to take anything away from Southie. You've got 70-odd against England. But we do know it's Tim Southie. It's sort of hits or miss with the, with the way he bats and then followed by Henry Wagner and Tickner. So, um, yeah, uh, between a rock and a hard place. And it wasn't so long ago when, you know, Sri Lanka used to come to the shores of New Zealand where you'd go, well, they've got no chance. We're just going to produce a green pitch. We're going to bowl pace. We're going to get it around their head and um, they're going to struggle. Um, even when the likes of Jai Wadner and Sangakara were here, who were world class, 
um, you know, Sri Lanka would always struggle against New Zealand. And this is a team where I look at someone like Angelo Matthews and I was quite surprised, you know, he's, he's still there. I remember last time he came here, I thought that that would be the last time we'd see him in New Zealand. He's 35 years of age, almost uh, hitting 36. Um, so he's got that experience and experience does count. It, it really does a test match cricket. So, uh, you know, him batting at four, they managed to, to bat pretty well. No one getting a significant score for Sri Lanka. Um, but 355 in the first innings is pretty significant in the, the grand scheme of things. Yeah, totally. And I think the fact that Sri Lanka is still within a chance of reaching the World Test Championship final, I think that caught a lot of people off guard as well. And very interesting comments there you made about the pitch and how it is going to be playing out. So my question to you is, did Tim Southey make the right call in opting to bowl first? Yeah, absolutely. I mean... As I said, it was Dean Elgar chose to bat, and we all walked into the commentary box and went, what is he doing? Like, he's lost his mind, and they won that test. So, you know, it's, um, it's one where hindsight is a great thing. And you would never, in New Zealand, you look at the pitch, it's, it's seam-friendly conditions. So you never look at it and go, oh, we'll have a bat on that. That looks beautiful, nice and green, and, you know, ready to seam around. But if you do get past that first session and you get past it well, then there will be runs on offer because what the, the live grass does is it creates pace and it creates bounce and the ability to then use the pace of the ball. So it's good for batting conditions but also good for bowling conditions. But you have to get the ball in the right area. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I think he's done the, the or made the right decision. I think the um, one of the things that I, I really struggled with was I looked at it and I thought, you know, we've always um, gone in with, you know, four seamers, and uh, we have this test. But against England, it wasn't that wasn't so. It was sort of three seamers and, and Michael Bracewell. So it looks like we've got a decent balance in the team now. Southey, Henry, Tickner, Wagner. Wagner's taken a bit of tap, but um, yeah, the bowling attack was there. Bracewell, as you can expect, only bowling three overs as a spinner, but. Um, a bulk of those overs being bowled by the seamers, perhaps maybe they, they should have got it a little bit fuller. There wasn't as much swing on offer that they thought there would be, but Sri Lanka have done well to bat um, as they did. So now we're going to have to dig in and someone's going to have to get a big score. And hopefully it's Daryl Mitchell who's on 40. He's going to have to go on and probably push close to 100. Interesting comments there, Grant. And I want to touch on the spinners if we get time uh, very soon. And earlier as well, you touched on the batters and you said that the Conway, Williamson, Nichols kind of struggled. Of course, the one that's got the big spotlight on them is Henry Nichols. Everyone feels like he's had his nine lives, as you would say. He keeps surviving despite his struggles. Does Henry Nichols play another test for New Zealand after this, considering well, he got one, was it? Two? Yeah, well, okay. I want, what I did was um, I had a look at, I compared players. So I compared someone like Mike Hussey. Obviously, world-class player. I look at Henry Nichols' scores, and when I count them, he hasn't got over 30 in 3, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 13 innings. Um, his last 100 was in February 22. He uh, scored 100 against uh, South Africa, and that was uh, preceded by two ducks and a 75. So... He was given, he's been given sort of nine opportunities to get over uh, 30 and 
or sorry, 13, and he hasn't produced it. Now, I remember Mike Hussey going through a, a bad trot at one stage. And when I look at his innings, he went through a, a trot in 2008 where he scored 19, 35, 0, 70, 0, 8, 0, 2, 30, 45, 4, 0. Then got 50, 19. And then suddenly he started, you know, hitting his straps, 121, 66, 41, 29, 82. So... The question is, and I know this is the question in the media, which is how long do you give a player before you have to change them out? And, I mean, that's essentially what you're, you're asking me. Now, you've got a player like Will Young um, who could come in, who's you know succeeded at test level. But Henry Nichols has had some success as well. And when you look at Henry Nichols' stats, he still averages 36. He scored 800s for New Zealand. 1250s. I think he deserves the right, or he's earned the right, to be given an extended run. Um, and how long that extended run is, well, that's a policy that, you know, the selectors, and I know Gavin Larson, obviously, question mark over over him and um, what he'll be doing. But, um, you know, that's that comes down to Gary Stead and, uh, and Tim Southey. And one of the things, and I know that we'll probably touch on it, is team culture. And how you create that team culture and that environment. And one of the things that's really been beneficial to the Black Caps is players don't feel that every innings they have is going to be their last. So they feel like they're going to be given an extended run. And by given that extended run, it allows them to probably take away fear of failure and actually go out there and express themselves. There's enough pressure on the job as it is. But to have pressure on this job being a batter where you're not in control of a lot of things and having the stress of thinking that you're going to get the axe from the, the selectors doesn't create an environment that's conducive to players expressing themselves. It does bring in that fear of failure. So, you know, he'll know that people are backing him, but he'll also be feeling the pinch as well. And as you get experienced as a player, you know that you go through ebbs and flows in your career. Everyone does. I mean, I brought up Mike Hussey there, who would be, you know, arguably one of the greats in the, the era when they were dominant. And he was, you know, given um, the right to get through that trough of runs. Where Henry Nichols is probably struggling is that our top order is not probably performing as well as they should. So he's in a lot earlier, especially batting at four. Um, and he has been more middle order. So, you know, he, he's a good player and um, hopefully he finds that form. He'll have the second innings more than likely in this test match to, to prove himself and just get back into form. And as a batter, it just takes one shot. It's amazing. You can feel at some stages you're like, where is my next run coming from? I don't know where my next run is going to come from. Suddenly you hit one out of the screws, through the covers, and you go, I'm back. I'm moving well, and your confidence is back. It's incredible how it works. It's incredible, all right. And you touched on the team culture there, and there have been lots of questions around the high-performance of the Black Caps and where are our where are our young players? Where where does the team go from here? Looking forward, like what what do you think the takeaways will be in terms of the culture and maybe even team selection post this series against Sri Lanka? Yeah, I mean, I think that you you look at the um, the England test, and I think our batting is, I say, solid. And uh, reason why I say it's solid is it's just because we've got quality players in there and it's quite hard to break into it I mean, you mentioned um you know henry nichols but he would be 
you know, probably the only player that you're looking at. And then we've got an immediate replacement, I guess, in, in a Will Young. But, you know, what, what we have to look at is we have to look at the bowling, I guess, and the bowling stocks. Um, you know, we had a, a New Zealand A team go over to India. Um, the likes of Jacob Duffy were there, Ben Lister, um, you know, who made his debut the other day, Logan Van Veek, Dutch international. Um, and then you've got spinners in, in Michael Rippon and Ratchan Ravindra. So we've got these young players, but there's no one that you can say, oh, that they'll definitely just come in. And I think a few people were surprised when Kugelein and um, Tickner were selected. So, you know, the fact that we went from having Trent Bolt and uh, Kyle Jamieson, Southey, Henry waiting in the wings, who's just sitting on the bench all the time, who's a qual- quality bowler, um, and you've got Wagner, the quickest New Zealander to 200 wickets. All of a sudden, you know, we look at our bowling stocks and we're like, wow, with uh, Jamison and Trent Bolt sitting on the bench, you sort of wonder where these young bowlers are. And I know Ben Sears is injured at the moment, but he's probably, he'll be finding his way in international cricket. He's not, you know, won't come in and ready to go. Lockie Ferguson and Adam Milne, um, they obviously possess a lot of pace. But now with T20 cricket and IPL cricket, I think a lot of those those players that have a lot of pace will probably be putting their bodies on ice and waiting for IPL. Much rather bowl four overs and earn 10 times as much than bowl 30 overs <laughs> in test match cricket and put your body through its paces and, and uh, lessen the years of your, your, uh, your career. Interesting comments here, Grant. And just a couple more here when talking cricket, thanks to PGG Rights and Turf. With regards to the spinners, the one thing I found interesting, well, Michael Bracewell, for example, bowled three overs in Sri Lanka's first innings, I think it was, just the three overs. And we continually hear that you know New Zealand doesn't have those spinner conditions and they're not really suited to a spinner. But then I go back to the England series and I see how much Jack Leach bowled and how, and I guess that England's spin did have a bit of success here. So why can't New Zealand do the exact same thing? Oh, well, I guess, you know, Leach... Um, that was probably more so because of the follow-on as well. So the bowlers were quite tired um, after following on. I think they bowled close to sort of 17 to 20 overs in the first innings. So Leach was always going to have to bowl a lot of overs, but he did get the wickets. When bowlers talk about bowling at the basin reserve, they talk about the wind and the bounce. So using actually that, that wind and that breeze because it you know, with Jack Leach, it'll just drift in quite nicely. He bowled that amazing ball to Will Young. It was an absolute peach of a delivery. Um, and I think the interesting thing about the spinners, Ben, and, you know, bringing this up, is we had someone, and I sat next to him at the Halbergs, Ajaz Patel. He was up for, you know, performance of the uh, of the year. And he got 10 wickets in an innings and then came to New Zealand and wasn't even in the squad. So, you know, we do produce pitches that are, are seam-friendly, but my issue with it is is that we've got these spinners who can, are obviously great players, but they won't play in New Zealand, and then suddenly we'll go to the subcontinent, and then we'll give them the ball, and we'll say, come on, win us the test match. They'll go, well, I haven't played in a year. You know, I, I don't have my rhythm, whereas a lot of teams like Australia, England, will play the Nathan Lyons and the Jack Leeches who get their overs in, they feel comfortable at test level, so that when they do get the conditions that they need, um, they can, you know, go out there and they probably don't have that 
expectation and that fear of almost failure because they've been bowling in test matches you know, for the calendar year. So we need to find a, a place for a spinner in our team. And I guess Michael Bracewell, you know, he's done extremely well. Um, he's our, I guess, our default sort of spinner in the team. Not an out-and-out spin bowler. He's more of, more of an all-rounder. But I guess we have found that sort of spinner, and it was the same as Satner. Satner did occupy that position, but never really took wickets. He was more of a holding bowler. Michael Bracewell's actually shown that, you know, he can take uh, take wickets, and I guess with him it's uh, just more confidence with the bat. And last one here for Swinging Both Ways, Grant. Gavin Larson, of course, leaving. He's going over to England for a new test in his career. Can we expect other changes at the top of New Zealand cricket now with Gavin Larson going? Of course, we've seen the changes on the field, but is this going to be the start of changes off the field? Yeah, it's a good question. I actually wasn't sure if he was definitely leaving. So that, that is, um, okay, I didn't read up on that. But um, yeah, I heard the whispers that he was going to select her. And I think a lot of people have spoken about this team and everyone was over the age of 30 when you looked at uh, us playing against England. So, you know, change of guard with Southie taking over as captain, uh, new selector. It'll be interesting to see what they do there. What I find um, really fascinating is England. When I look at England, and I'm not saying that they're setting the benchmark. I think that, you know, they've had to be disruptive and test cricket has had to take a little bit of a change. And the reason why it needs a little bit of a change is they're not getting the broadcast numbers that they, they had hoped. Um, so f- from the broadcasters, they need to monetize test cricket. And what England have done is they, they've gone out they're trying to play an exciting brand. So... The fascinating thing about their setup is you've got Brendan McCullum coach, who I think Baz might have just hit 40. Um, and then you've got Rob Key, who's 43 years of age. And then you've got Luke Wright, who I don't even think is 40 yet, um, as a, a selector, just being picked as a selector. So you've got almost three people who are in charge of England cricket that are under the age of 40. Now, they've all been in the era where they've played T20 cricket. Now, I'm not saying that that's a prerequisite because... I think that, you know, um, as far as I'm concerned, you know, test cricket, I always thought that it wouldn't change much. But England have proved that wrong. They've gone out there and they've expressed themselves. But I think that that's more about the environment that Brendan's created. And I think if you can create that environment, but also have players that have the the skills to do that. And when I look in New Zealand uh, cricket, if we want to be credible in world cricket, I think we have to do well in the white ball game. Um, and hopefully that can you know, translate into test cricket. But you know, if we can win a World Cup, um, a T20 or a, a one-day World Cup, I think that that gives you a lot of credibility. And actually train the players and the skill level of the players to adapt between one-day T20 and, and test match cricket. I think that our game will um, actually improve. Um, the bowling stocks is, is the, the worry, but you're right, Ben. It's, it's a change of guard, and all teams go through this. So you throw your eyes towards those players that are in their late 20s or early 20s, and uh, you go, well, you know, how's our pathway developing, and how's our high performance actually working for New Zealand cricket at this stage? Um, so, yeah, not tough times for New Zealand cricket, but a player like Trent Bolt... I mean, you can't, you can't just replace a Trent Bolt. Um, 
and you can't just replace a Kyle Jamison. They they're world class players that um, have these physical attributes and these uh, amazing skills that you don't look to replicate them. You find someone that does something different and can bowl in partnership with the other bowlers that we have, and we need to find those partnerships that work for us. So uh, uh, interesting times for New Zealand cricket, especially at that leadership uh, level. That there is a swinging both ways thanks to PGG Rights and Turf, premium suppliers of turf seed and maintenance products for cricket grounds across New Zealand. Been a couple of text messages, and we'll get to those after the break here on the Saturday session. It is 20 minutes away from 11 o'clock. Welcome back. Welcome back from the break. And great to be speaking on Swinging Both Ways with Ben Francis, asking some great questions there, Ben. Your cricket knowledge has improved out of sight since I've been away from the show. Maybe that's why it's proved <laughs> been out of sight. <laughs> I try, I mate. Been here. <laughs> Fake it till you well, make we it. Got... <laughs> we did get a few texts uh, during the break, and uh, great to hear from our listeners. Remember, tell us where you're from and who you are. This is an unknown uh, texter. Don't know where you're from um, and what your name is. There's some very good young bowlers in this country. Uh, does Grant have any idea why the selectors are so against picking them? P.S. Henry Stead is in the team for as long as he wants to be. Um, I'm guessing that's he's saying Matt Henry is should be called Matt Stead because he's Stead's oh, son. I thought it, oh, I thought he was meaning Henry Nichols and Gary Stead. Oh, so Henry it's like Stead. it's like the love okay, child. Yeah, it could be Henry Nichols. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, well, there we go. So, um, yeah, I guess uh, there is a little bit of Canterbury love there. Potentially, you are from Canterbury. Um, but yeah, I'd love to hear from you as to who these good young bowlers are. I mean, just looking at Plunkett Shield, um, you know, you've got Jacob Duffy, you've got Matt Henry, and you've got Doug Bracewell, who are top wicket takers uh, with over twenty. Then you've got Will O'Rourke. Like I have seen him bowl. In the T20s, he's up there at 19 wickets this season. And, um, yeah, he, he was really impressive. I think the Canterbury Bowl is probably the most impressive at the moment. There's uh, um, Michael Sneddon as well, um, who, for Wellington, he does have, you know, that tall stature, a little bit like Henry Shipley. Very tall, gets a little bit of bounce. Um, and as these bowlers get a little bit stronger, um, they can put on some pace. And I remember facing Kyle Jamison, um, at one stage, and I thought, oh, well, you know, he's he's a big unit, but doesn't really hit the deck, and just took him a year or two, and then all of a sudden, you know, burst onto the scene, so um, it does take bowlers a little bit of a while, but besides, you know, Doug Bracewell, I don't think a lot of those bowlers, and maybe Jacob Duffy, I don't think a lot of them are, are potentially, uh, yeah, ready to burst onto the scene, I think they might be finding their way a little bit at international level, so, um yeah, uh, there was uh, folks as well from Canterbury who was very impressive in one of the T20 games. But um, I guess there's no one front of mind that sort of, you know, jumps at us and says, pick me at the moment. So they'll have to be fighting that out. Another um, texter, uh, thanks, Stu, for your text. Uh, he's from Tiana. A shout out to the Central Western Goats in the Div 1 Cricket Combined Country Final in Tiana today. Up the goats. Yeah, go, Stu. Uh, cricket season still rampant at the moment, which is great to see. A lot of junior cricketers out there and dads, no doubt, um, supporting them. Um, this one is from Steve. Uh, Hi, Grant. Doug Bracewell was called in before the England series. Where is Milne and Ferguson? Should Bolt be paid more? <laughs> uh, what is wrong with Patel? 
He gets 10 wickets, then is discarded. Should Stead go? A lot of questions there. Um, let's touch on the first one. Doug Bracewell, he did. He, he was called in, uh, wasn't picked. Um, Doug Bracewell's always there and thereabouts. He was in India, didn't get picked there either. So, um, you know, I think he's, he's a fantastic uh, player to come in when there are injuries because he's got that experience. And that's what I'm talking about is those bowlers that you, you think in the Plunkett Shield at least or domestic circuit, who are those ones with experience that have actually played international cricket that if someone does get injured, you can call upon them? Uh, yes, Milne and Ferguson do have international experience. But as I said earlier, Steve, I think that those, um, those bowlers, T20 cricket, it's tough now. If you bowl over 140, 145 Ks an hour, generally um, these players, if they're good enough to be in T20 like IPL and playing the circuit, they'll put their bodies on ice. And um, test cricket is hard on the body. So I'd love to see Ferguson in there um, or Milne, someone that bowls 150 Ks an hour. And I think Pat Cummins is probably you know, the bowler that you look at and you go, well, you know, he's, he's chosen to um, not play IPL on a number of occasions just because of his body. So chosen test cricket. So when you ask about should Bolt be paid more, if we could pay our test cricketers more, um, then maybe they wouldn't choose the, the mercenary route of, of going and playing in these, these IPL uh, tournaments. Bolt, basically, you know, he gets paid by, uh, you know, to be in the IPL. And um, I think he just thinks he can, he can earn more money, spend more time with his family, um, and his body will have um, a lot more longevity if he does that. I think what we do need to do is we need to look at our contracting system and we need to make sure that this contracting system allows players to actually go and play around the world but still contracted maybe on a smaller scale to New Zealand cricket. So thanks for your questions. Great to get your texts. Remember, you can phone in on 0800 150811 or text in on double eight double three. Six minutes away from 11 o'clock here on the Saturday session. Ben Francis and Grant Elliott with you until one o'clock today. Heaps of texts coming through and on double eight double three. We'll get to lots of those in the next hour. Grant, your comments seem to have fired up the New Zealand audience. Oh, have they? Yeah, I, I, I'm just looking at them now, and I did see. Um, I'll, I'll start with um, this one here, um, and it's uh, an unnamed. Oh no, it is Warwick. Warwick. Uh, Ferguson just bowled 29 overs over two innings in Auckland's latest Plunkett Shield game. Doesn't suggest he's protecting his body for T20 or doesn't want to play longer form cricket. Warwick. Um, well, what I will say is. 29 overs over two innings, probably, you know, normally, you know, fast bowlers will be bowling around that 26 mark. Um, and I haven't actually looked at that game to see how, how long it went, but you have to get your body ready for, for IPL as well. So Ferguson has just come back from a back injury. Um, I know that he, he has been injured. But, yeah, that would suggest that potentially um, he does. But if he was ready for test cricket, we'd definitely get him in there, surely. Anyone that bowls over that 140 mark um, would slide into that team, especially against Sri Lanka. Bit of pace and a bit of bounce because that innings is about to be underway on day three. And we'll see. But thanks a lot for your comment. Warwick, I love a little bit of niggle. Text us in. Double eight double three. 0800 150 811. Love to hear from you. 
It's 11 o'clock here on the Saturday session. Ben Francis and Grant Elliott with you today until 1 o'clock. And Grant, there have been a lot of texts come through after our Swinging Both Ways chat. We've talked lots of cricket, heaps with regards to the Black Caps. Uh, day three has just gotten underway at Hagley Oval. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll whip through them here, uh, Ben. We've got one here from Josh uh, who says, Grant, one to watch Muhammad Abbas from Wellington, first class century this week. Um, thanks a lot for that, Josh. Um, we've also got one from Graham here in Oroa, Auckland. Grant, we've seen these big, tall and lean fast bowlers struggle to deal with back and structural issues. I think back to Bruce Reed. Bruce Reed, um, as an example, never saw any longevity. Do we really believe Carl Jamison can come back for from for a sustained career? Thoughts? Uh, thanks a lot for that, Graham. I remember Bruce Reed. There was that twelfth uh, man tape where um, Billy Birmingham. He went, "Oh no, Bruce Reed. He snapped in half." And they had to get the uh, sticky tape on uh, to go and put him together. So I'm guessing he did have a few injuries. But I actually I had a few. Um, issues with my back. I had three stress fractures at age 17, 19, 21. And I remember Daniel laughing at me um, on air because I said that I was actually invited to go to the Dennis Lilly Fast Bowling Academy. And when everyone thinks back to how I bowled in my career is, if anything, I tried to take pace off the ball. I tried to bowl as slow as possible and let the batter make the play. But um, I was a young fast bowler, had some back injuries, struggled to come back from it, but also just worked on my batting. Um, and I think these bowlers can. I mean, you look at bowlers like Brett Lee. We always say in the cricketing world, you're not a fast bowler if you haven't had a stress fracture or a stress reaction with your back. I mean, your body does go through a lot of issues. Um, from memory, Adam Milne hasn't. He's had more ankle. Um, Lockie Ferguson. Uh, Shane Bond, another one who actually had the operation where um, I think he had some vertebras fused. So it is tough on the body. And that's why, you know, when we're talking about fast bowlers, I guess naturally if you bowl a little bit of uh, gas, someone like Tamal Mills from England, who might not be a name that everyone knows, but he collected $2 million in the IPL. Um, why would you play test cricket, put your body on ice? Obviously, we'd love to see our bowlers playing for their country um, and bowling 150 Ks an hour. But yes, you can come back from it, and there's a lot of help there with it. Uh, sometimes it it means just a little bit of a change of action, Graham. Uh, and technically, I can get into that just quickly, your shoulders and your hips have to be aligned and going in the same direction. Graham is from Oriwa. 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 That's where I'm go. from. Sorry, Graham. Okay. Well, sorry about that, Ben. Yeah, I deeply hurt my feelings. <laughs> Apologies for my pronunciation, okay? Um, yeah. Oriwa, Auckland. There we go. Um, another one here from Kez uh, Bingham. Let's go, Benny Boy, and the jab. Just a friendly reminder, Liverpool beat United 7-0. Um, gee, that is good stuff, that. Liverpool, my arch rivals. It's good to see that Everton are doing what they do best. Down at the bottom of the table, struggling for relegation. My team. Um, and we've got one here, named Person. G'day, Grant. Do you think the struggles of the batting up the order in the test team of late is contributed in any way to the stop-start nature of the summer? 
with the away tour to start and the several T20 seasons before the test season at home started. Also just heard your shout out for the Central Western Goats, great local community team. Also have a great South African bowler. You'd love to watch these boys. Might have to put that on the uh, list of things to do. Um, yeah, I, listen, I don't think stop starting has any impact on teams these days. I remember when we first started T20 cricket, it was a little bit of a um, an unknown. We had no idea how we would actually you know, cope with playing a T20 one day and then going into a four-day game the next and the skills that it took. But players these days are used to it. You know, They play red ball one day. They know the skills that they need to do, which is probably why Test Cricket, the run rate, has uh, accelerated so quickly because they don't tend to have a different game in Test to, to what they do in, in T20 cricket. And it's just about using or taking out a number of tools that you have um, in the T20 game and then applying the same principles to Test cricket. So, um, yeah, no bearing on, on that, but um, definitely the pitches, I think that that might uh, be tough where you go and you play in Pakistan, you do have to adapt your technique to Pakistan and Indian conditions before you come back to New Zealand. Um, India and Pakistan conditions, you can follow the ball uh, with your hands, a little bit slower off the deck, you've got time to react, whereas here, if it is nibbling a little bit, if you do follow the ball, you're going to nick it. So um, you just have to play the line and hope for the best. Um, But these are great questions, keep them coming. Um, Phone in. Had the guts to phone in. I know that I've been sitting on my chair once in a taxi and they were abusing my good mate uh, Aaron Redmond on a sporting show. And I'd maybe, maybe had a, a couple that night. And um, I rang in but didn't have the guts to follow through with it because I thought that they would recognize my accent when I wanted to uh, back my mate Aaron Redmond when everyone was calling for his head in the team. So had the guts to phone in. We'd love to hear from you. Um, or text in double eight double three. Yeah, that's right, Grant. And uh, before we continue on, we've just got a couple of sporting headlines to go through. And said the day three action between the Black Caps and Sri Lanka is underway. New Zealand currently 163 for five. Australia have also finished on 480 after Usman Khawaja's epic 180 and Cameron Green's test debut century made, made the Indian bowlers 12 for almost two days in the field. Uh, the Taurus made the most of the best batting pitch of the series, forcing India to bowl for 168 overs. Uh, India finishing the day 36 without loss, a deficit of 444. And a stunning Broncos debut by Reese Walsh at the Brisbane to a 28-16 win over the Cowboys on Friday night. Also, a Will Kennedy hat-trick led the Sharks to a 30-26 win over the Eels, their first win of the season, while Parramatta are winless. And don't forget, you can tune into SENZ from 5pm tonight for live coverage of the one New Zealand Warriors facing the Sydney Roosters. Uh, we've had plenty of texts coming through. We'd love some callers. 0800 150 811. And we've had Mikey from Christchurch call through. How are you, Mikey? Yeah, good, thanks. How are you going? Yeah, we're both yeah, very... Good day, Mikey. Yeah, hey, got a, a, a question for you, Grant. So just in terms of these fast bowlers breaking down, and seemingly in this country they always seem to, but why do guys like Salvi, um, most of the Australian fast bowlers, um, Broad and Anderson, they never seem to break down? Is it, is it sort of a, a fitness thing? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a good question, Mikey. I think, you know, bowlers always break down. Uh, but Southey has been somewhat of an anomaly, even even Bolt. Um, we've been very blessed with 
the fitness of our, our bowlers. And I'll put that down to Chris Donaldson. Chris Donaldson, um, I don't know if you know, but he was a 100-meter sprinter, Commonwealth Games. He is in phenomenal shape, this guy. But when he came in, we started doing heavy weights. Um, even, you know, me uh, built like a javelin. Uh, we started, you know, doing, you know, massive squats, deadlifts, building up the lower, lower part of your body. Now, the lower part of your body uh, being your legs, your hamstrings, your quads, your back, um, your abdominals, um, and mainly your glutes. So the glutes take a hammering. Um, and you'll notice that a lot of the bowlers, like you think back to Brett Lee and even Dale Stain, they've got quite a, a big uh, uh, backside. <laughs> so their, their glutes yeah. are, are massive. And that's to give them that stability. So it's definitely about fitness and about how you, um, you know, get your body ready. And then the second thing is your action. So if your action is quite economical, and I said earlier, your shoulders and your hips, if they're facing in the same direction, you think back to Richard Hadley, he was side on. But then you look, think of Mal Malcolm Marshall, he was front on. So you can't have a, um, a mixture and a mixed action. So a mixed action would be your shoulders are sideways on, but your hips are actually square on. If you've got that mixed action, there's going to be a torsion in the back and you're going to be under a um, certain amount of stress. And I don't know if you know this, but seven times your body weight goes through the bowler, uh, bowler's legs and, uh, and body when they hit the crease. So they're hitting the crease wow. at such force that you have to be strong enough to sustain that force. So when you're a young bowler, and generally you see a lot of stress fractures or stress reaction issues at, at a young age, and then suddenly they build up the strength, and then they're fine, and you never see it again. So there'll always be injuries, but um, I think we're getting better and better at it. And it's just unfortunate that Carl Jamison's going through this, and perhaps it's a little tweak in his action, just something technically that he can do. Um, but, you know, he's a, he's a big boy as well. You think back to Jacob Oram, who used to get injured quite a lot. Uh, carrying, a, a, you know, some timber like that around the field is tough. So so with, a, like, a young up-and-comers, you're at school, the people NZ Cricket might go, oh, these, these, these kids might be the future. Are they getting the right advice and the right coaching? So as they go and they get bigger and stronger and stuff, their action is what it needs to be and their fitness is what it needs to be? Or do NZR sort of have a, sorry, NZR, NZ Cricket have a uh, hands-off approach until they come up on their radar? Yeah, I think it is very much that. I mean, I don't know if you, you've got young kids that play the game, but it's very much up, up to the volunteer. I coach the under eight Courtlangs, the year three. And uh, yeah, um, I think the parents are a little bit disappointed with my coaching. They're not a great fielding team. Haven't taken many catches in the three years <laughs> I've been with them. But, um, yeah, you know, looking at their actions at a young age, it's probably something that you start working on around that, like, you know, 12, 13, 14-year age group because if they are going to be something special and go on, you want to make sure that you, you refine that action. Um, so I don't think it's got anything to do with New Zealand cricket until they get into that, um, that pathway, which is probably around that under-19 level. But um, do we yeah. have the right coaches at volunteer level? I would have to say probably no. Because NZ Rugby seem to um, seemingly seem to get out to schools and sort of sort of note down the kids that are up and coming. And maybe, I mean, it looks as though there might be a bit of a bear patch coming up for a New Zealand cricket team. And I'm just wondering, maybe they need to be slightly more proactive, just as a thought. You know, that's that, that, they're paid to do a job, so maybe the job should be the future of the Black Caps and, and get in early and, and sort of start sort of uh, seeing what's out there at, at the schools, yeah. at the clubs. Yeah, Mikey, I mean, a great point here. And I think that there is a little bit of a disconnect between, you know, the, you know, 
we don't have a lot of money in New Zealand, uh, New Zealand cricket, but there's very much a, a top-down approach, whereas I'm actually, maybe I'm biased, but I quite like a, a bottom-up approach. I think the more people we've got playing the game, the more people that are interested in the game, uh, the, the healthier it'll be, the more talent we will have. But I don't really see that at the moment from New Zealand cricket, and it's up to the volunteers and the clubs. One thing I do think that could change things, Mikey, um, is I think if we, if we separate club cricket and school cricket uh, and we make sure that school cricket is during the week, have Wednesday off. You don't need to do you know, your maths and English on a Wednesday. Make that a passion day if you do art or dancing or whatever it is or cricket. Mm. Go and play that on a Wednesday. And then on the weekends, let's make our clubs thrive so that players can actually go and play club cricket. So the players that from schools, we have these age groups running from you know, under 13 all the way to under 18. Because there's the double guillotine that we talk about, um, and especially in Wellington. You've got junior cricket that happens up until 12 years of age, and then suddenly they go to college, and then they don't uh, see their club again until they finish school. And then they're expected to go back to the club that they were with as a junior, but they're actually quite nervous too. Like they don't know anyone, and they're going to be playing with adults. So a lot of them just fall off the radar in both those sort of um, levels. So I think that that would create continuation more people in the game, more coaching uh, opportunities, and uh, and potentially produce uh, better players and, and more players. Well, there you go, Grant. Get, get into NZ Cricket. Start changing it, eh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. Loving your I show, really, mate. Hey, thanks for having me yeah. on. Thanks, Mikey. Really appreciate your call. Have a great day. All right. Cheers, mate. Yeah, well, there you go. Some great great points from Mikey. We love love having a, a, a call in. If you've got the guts to do it, um, and you've got the accent uh, that I can understand. <laughs> uh, we'll take a break now, and uh, after the break, plenty more on sport in New Zealand. 19 minutes after 11 here on the Saturday session. No Daniel McCarty this week. He will be back. He's actually on here tomorrow uh, commentating the Wellington Phoenix game. They're up against Sydney FC at Eden Park in Auckland. But right now, it is time for our Midas Agritires Workhorse of the Week. Midas Agritires, the choice of leading manufacturers, European quality made affordable. And Grant, you haven't done this in a while, oh. so I'm very curious to know what uh, road you go down. Well, you know, I generally go down cricket, I guess. But this one's actually, it's a controversial one because I know that in New Zealand, um, there's a dislike for our trans-Tasman friends. So whenever you, you name one of them a workhorse of the week, the text uh, machine normally starts going. But I actually thought that Usman Kawaja, I think, you know, the he he's quite an outspoken uh, person, old Usman Kawaja. He got 180 against India. Now, let's put that into context. Uh, you know, when we, we look at the test series um, against India at the moment with the Australia playing there, those wickets are tough. Now, <laughs> he scored 180 in the first test. Australia got 177 and 91. India obviously scored 400. So they won by an innings and 132 runs. In the second test, 263 and 113. Um, and then in the third test, um, 109, uh, sorry, 197 and 78 for one to beat India. So it is 2-1 in the series. But Usman Khawaja got 180. And um, he didn't play in those, those previous three tests. And he said, 
I've been to India for two tours before this, and I carried the drinks for all eight test matches. It was a long journey. So to finally get 100 in India as an Australian, that's what you want to do. It's what you want to tick off, so it's very special. So I think, you know, the context of that, I've been on the bench quite a bit as a cricketer, and it's so tough mentally to be on the bench. Um, and to go out and do what he did, I think, is pretty special. Um, it shows probably the, the character of the man, um, but also, you know, he's someone that's come in at tough times and generally performed. So good on him. I love, um, I love a good, uh, good news story, even if it is an Australian. <laughs> well, it's quite cool. As you said, he was there carrying the drinks at ATS and then finally gets the opportunity and look what he's done. Yeah, and um, you know, I think he's he's third on the list highest run scorers. Um, I'll tell you right now. So highest run scorers by Australians in India, Dean Jones. Uh, he rests in peace. He's at two hundred and ten. Uh, Matthew Hayden, um, and uh, at two hundred and three, and Usman Khawaja and Medabad one eighty. And the funny story about the Dean Jones one, Ben. I don't know if you know this, but he was he had uh, Delhi Belly and was just feeling really rough. And I think it was Alan Border uh, that was batting with him at the time. And he walked up to Border, and, you know, he was just in a world of pain. And he said, mate, I've got to go off. I'll just, you know, I can't keep going. My body's, uh, you know, rejecting itself. and I, I just have to go off and retire. And he said, that's fine, mate. You go off, get a real Australian to replace you. <laughs> he, carried, <laughs> he carried on batting. So there you go. Oh, it's a very, very good nomination there, Grant. Uh, I'm going to start with a, a non-nomination before I get to my actual nomination. Oh, of course, the Daniel McCarty non-nomination. Yeah, I don't have one of those. I don't get to do I this. I think very, too positively. Yeah, I don't get these too often, so that's why I have to make the most of it. Get as much in as I can. Squeeze as much uh, juice out of the lemon as possible. So I'm going to start with one a sport that I like, and it's going to be with darts. I've, try, I've gone this long without mentioning a Grant, so be thankful. So uh, over the weekend, just gone, they had the UK Open, which is one of the, the big tournaments on the calendar. It's known as the FA Cup of Darts, and it was won by a guy by the name of, name of Andrew Gilding, who has been on the tour for about 10 years, has never won anything. And he went and beat uh, Michael Van Gerwen in the final, 11-10. Oh. So he pocketed £110,000 for his troubles. Wow. He, he was he, he wasn't it was really weird because when he won he was hold, holding the trophy up and all the confetti was coming down he looked more like oh my god I can't believe I won this as opposed to being happy <laughs> uh, but he, he, listening to his story and what he's some of the stuff he's gone through he's been living in the same council flat for about 30 years so he's going to finally move out and and get a, a move into a new place so really really cool little story there uh, with with a darts player who is a bit of a fan favourite but has just never won anything so and is he your non-nomination or he's your my, nomination? He's my non-nomination. Oh, why? That's normally, I mean, that's a great story. He should be your nomination. Yeah, but I, I, I like to go with, I know it's only, of course, it's only just happened, but I think something else has happened in the last couple of days, which I kind of feel like uh, deserves it more. And when I do my actual nominations, uh, like so one of the nominations I did when I was uh, in this chair previously was, I decided to do the the volunteer uh, services. I felt like that that week there was no need for a sports sports person to be nominated, so I had to go with the volunteer cool. 
uh, first responders uh, based on what happened uh, last month around the country. So that's what I went with there. But I, for my nomination this week is, and I don't know how to word this exactly. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say the players and the coaches of the NRL, and the reason why I'm saying that is because. For those that don't weren't aware, the 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 horrible incident that happened at halftime in the Panthers South game where Latrell Mitchell was racially abused, and I think it's been fantastic the the response from the players and the coaches, especially especially the coaches. Uh, Jason Demetrio, the South coach, was very very strong on it after the game. So I kind of feel like that the the, the whole community rallying around uh, Latrell and I think agreeing that people that do things like that should be banned uh, from sport for life, pretty much for, from attending sports. Wow, so I, for life. I, I think I think it. I think that's the kind of extent that we we should go down. So that's where I'm going. I'm so I'm going to kind of highlight that community in general and and say like, good. I'm really really impressed with the the response and the support that the players and the coaches have been giving. Yeah, I think you know. I think life is a bit harsh, but I think it's probably more the behaviors of the parents. And um, I guess those people at the ground realize that there are kids there and kids are going to follow your lead. I mean, I know that I was subjected to some horrendous stuff, um, you know, on the field, you're playing for your country or, you know, for Wellington and people abusing you on the side. And I just think, you know, just because you pay X amount for a ticket doesn't give you a right to go and abuse players. It's about celebrating those players on there and celebrating the game of sport. And, yeah, I mean, you know, I've been overseas where you, you just listen to the language and you see the behavior of some people. Um, and the football hooliganism, I don't know if it's still, you know, rampant in, in England. It's sort of like you don't really hear um, as much about it as you used well, to. Some, some clubs, life. some clubs, it's probably a bit yeah. more prominent than others. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, life ban difficult but I, I just think sport sports for uh, communities to bring communities and societies closer together and cross culturally as well different countries but also it's for kids it's like you know the life skills that they learn from sports and if you're going to go there as a parent and abuse sports men and women while you're sitting in your, your either in your armchair or at the ground well your kids are going to follow you and that's just going to create um, that feeling of um, entitlement that you're entitled to just do what you want when you go to a sporting event. Yeah, well, the horrible thing about this incident was, and I don't know 100% if it's been confirmed or not, but the reports were saying, and this is from NRL journalists in Sydney, saying it was a 15-year-old. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, disgusting that at that age, you, you know, you think you've got a right to, to abuse uh, sportsmen and women on the field. I think you know, we just have to have a healthy love of sport. You know, like we're trying to teach a love of education to children. Well, let's teach a love of sport. It starts at grassroots. Um, so, yeah, life ban, I think it's a bit harsh, Ben Francis. Um, you're running a tight ship there, but, you know, everyone's entitled to their opinion. Well, I run a, I run a tight ship, and, it, and it's a bit similar to the, the people that ran onto the field at, at Sky Stadium at, at the Warriors last oh, week. I just, how, I just how many were... How many were there? There About, was heaps. I think there were twelve. And for me personally, <laughs> I I don't like it. I I it infuriates me 
that that people do it. And so I'm one of one of these people that say it's you know everyone can see the fun in it until someone gets hurt in terms of. You know, I, and I'm, I'm being serious when I say this. I've been into stadiums where I don't get checked for anything. There's So what I could easily take a knife in, for, as an example, and run onto the field and cause some damage. Not saying, of course, I won't do that, Grant, but I think it's pretty easy. And until something like that happens, then people, it's all, it's all fun and games until something serious happens. And I think of there was the guy in the UK last year that was sneaking on the field, or a couple of years ago, he was sneaking on the field with all the teams, uh, for funny YouTube videos and that, and we're like we're in the midst of like a COVID crisis, and I'm kind of thinking, imagine if the players get COVID because of this guy and things like that. And uh, yeah, you can call me old school and call me you know a grumpy old 27 year old, but I just I just don't like it. I I think that the way to stop it is just by handing out hard, harder bands, and then people actually think twice about doing things like that. Yeah, well, I mean, it has happened in the past. Remember Monica Sellers? Exactly. She got stabbed. Yeah, so, I mean, there's that. But I, I think what's probably even more likely to happen is um, someone running onto the field and just getting absolutely smashed by the security guards because we've seen that and a proper injury happening. Um, yeah, they shouldn't be on the field. But, yeah, I mean, I've, I've looked at some of the security guards. They've got the sprigs on and they're ready to go. <laughs> And they're not the sort of people you really want to be tackled by. So, yeah, I, I'm with you with the, the pitch invasions. As funny as a lot of people think it is, um, it's not ideal. So maybe we're going to have to up security and get the German shepherds in like the, it used to be at the Wondrous Stadium with me growing up in Johannesburg. Put them on a leash. That might make people think uh, once or twice about it. It might do. And uh, that's our Workhorse of the Week segment there. Thanks to the Midas Agri-Tires, made in Europe and trusted by leading equipment manufacturers worldwide. European quality does not have to break the bank. Ask for Midas Agri-Tires for your equipment. It is 11.30 and coming up after the break, we're going to talk all things basketball with Justin Nelson here on the Saturday Session. It's been great to hear from all the listeners. Uh, Keep those texts coming and don't be scared to phone in on uh, 0800-150-811. Well, it's been the Breakers that's been front of mind for a lot of people. Um, They're playing in the NBL Finals and just finished Game 3. We're fortunate enough to have Justin Nelson, who runs Hoopheads, uh, and uh, from SEN. Justin, we've got you online. Have you got us? Yeah, certainly got you, mate. How are you? Good morning. Yeah, good morning, Justin. Uh, fine morning it is, but not so much for the breakers. No, definitely not. It was uh, it was a poor night all round. And, um, you know, they've got to lick their wounds pretty quick. They've got to get to the tape and, uh, and have a chat about things because they've got to turn it all around. And they've got to win on Sunday evening in Auckland. Otherwise, uh, it's done and dusted. The season uh, will come to a close and the Kings will be crowned. Uh, back-to-back champions. They certainly looking good after last night's win. Now, a lot of people said that um, the the team that wins this um, the the finals is going to be the team that can actually win away from home. Do you hold the same sentiment? Well, if you look at how these two teams have performed against each other this season, last night in all of their matchups. Uh, this year or this season. That's the first time that one of these two teams have won on their home floor against the other. It's quite an amazing stat. Uh, The Kings getting the win last night. Up until then, 
every time these two teams had played against each other, they had won on the road, not on their home floor. So the Kings are going to uh, come in warm favourites. The Breakers are going to need to turn that particular stat around themselves to stay in it. And the other particular stat that's worth noting is since moving to a five-game or best-of-five-game series uh, to crown an NBL champion in the Australian League, uh, 11 out of the 12 times the team that has won that third game has gone on and won it. So, Justin, I mean, how much pressure is there on the team now, um, namely the Breakers? They go 2-1 down. They're going to have to win the next two, home and away. Is it is it more physical pressure? Is it mental? Do they go in and do they have nothing to lose? How can they turn it around mentally? Well, I think there's always physical pressure when you're playing at this elite level of any sport. It doesn't matter what the sport is. There's physical pressure that comes with it. But it is the mental side of the game. There's no doubt about that. It's do or die, lose and you're done, win and you uh, get to go into that fifth game and anything is possible then. But they're living life yeah. on the edge right now and they've got to win it. So mentally, they've got to step up. They can't afford to be fragile. If you look at last night's game, I'm, you know, look, I'm not sure what both of these teams were drinking at halftime, but clearly, whatever's in the water cooler for the Kings, it worked because their second half was extraordinary. Well, looking at the, looking at the second game, um, you know, something that was phenomenal to me was that the, the, both teams, they really struggled to get buckets early on. The first, uh, Sydney's first one came at 6 minutes 20, and the break is at 5 minutes. Is that, is that unusual? Yeah, really unusual. Um, it's, a, it's a culmination of both teams playing well defensively. We need to give credit where credit's due, but at the same time, not being able to execute offensively. And the same occurred for the Breakers last night in that second half. They went more than 10 minutes of playing time without adding a single point. At this level, and certainly in a big grand final series, it's almost unheard of. So that tape will be getting picked apart uh, and will have been getting picked apart overnight. The Breakers with a lot of work to do. I think most people who saw parts of that second game and certainly last night's second half, the Breakers need to find a way to score. Justin, of course, oh, I don't follow the Breakers as closely as you, but I remember when um, when they're under Dan Shamir, it would seem like there were quite often periods that they would struggle in that third quarter coming out of the break. They would often kind of get ahead and then they would struggle. Do you think that part of that last night was down to the pressure of the occasion? Oh, look, you never know. I mean, they went in four points up and, and they started well in the third. They got to nine points up. You know, things were looking really, really good early in the third, but you know, I don't know what was said at halftime. I don't know whether the Breakers were having cups of warm Milo and the and the Kings were having six cans of Red Bull each, but something clearly clicked for the Kings and it didn't happen for the Breakers. And from that point on, it was a one-way show and probably as big a one-way basketball as we've seen all season. So danger signs, no doubt. Don't know what was said at halftime, but the third quarter is something that the Breakers need to focus on. So, Justin, looking at the, the first game, Breakers won 95-87, but the Kings have clearly done something since that game to then be dominant because the Breakers would have been sitting uh, quite pretty and feeling comfortable with themselves after the first game. Yeah, and they would have been feeling quite good about themselves early in the third quarter last night. Like I said, they'd, they'd opened that gap up at nine points and... 
you know, sitting there watching it last night, I thought, here we go. We're going to go 2-1 up and come home and play for a title on Sunday. Mm. And then everything changed. Yeah. Buckets were hard to come by. The defense picked up. I think what the Kings have done really well, and you have to give credit where credit is due, they are playing as a deep roster. There are players coming in off the pine for the Sydney Kings who aren't only delivering, they're delivering above expectations. They're feeling it. They're in form. They've got confidence. They're being given an opportunity to play. And they are delivering. So, Justin, you've got the canvas. You're the coach of the breakers. What do they need to do now to win these next two, to win win the, the, the NBL, take the title out? Well, I think take the shackles off. And I'm not suggesting for a second that the shackles have been on, but I think they need to play uh, free and easy. You know, maybe throw the playbook out the window a little bit, um, throw something different at the Kings, uh, loosen up play with a little bit of freedom and freelance basketball, get up and down and be quick and be, you know, really aggressive. I think they need to get to the basket more. They're relying on that outside shot a little bit too much. It dropped early last night. In fact, first quarter looked very, very good from deep. And then it went totally away. I think in the end, the Kings were 46 or 48 points inside the paint and uh, and the breakers were in the teens. I mean, that is a damning stat. It's a big, big difference in a contest. Uh, so I just think they've got to throw the playbook out. I think they've got to play with some reckless abandonment, just really have a crack offensively. Defensively, we know that the Breakers can hold a team. I'm not I'm not too concerned defensively, but I think offensively, just throw the playbook out the window and get up and down and have a good time. Justin, game four tomorrow at Auckland Spark Arena. Are you going to be there cheering on the boys? <laughs> I wish I was. I fly to New York tonight, so that won't be happening. But... Uh, I'll certainly be getting off the plane at the other end and uh, and quickly finding out what's going on. Uh, I know it's going to be a massive crowd. It's a sellout, over 9,000. How about last night in Sydney? More than 18,000 people. I mean, that is, for a lot of stadiums in the States, that's an NBA crowd. That's the level it was last night in Sydney. Record crowd for the Aussie NBL. Basketball is booming. We know it's booming here in New Zealand. Same thing happening in the Aussie NBL as well. Quite amazing. And it's going to be a packed crowd again tomorrow night here in Auckland. Yeah, Justin, in- incredible. I was going to ask you about that record crowd. I mean, the atmosphere must have been um, absolutely amazing. And, uh, you know, to, to um, actually sort of mirror your sentiments about basketball, I've got two young boys and they're absolutely besotted with basketball. I think that the sport is, is really going to be blowing up in New Zealand and hopefully the breakers can, can get up to actually contribute to even more of an intake for um, kids at a young age. They love watching the NBA. They love watching the NBL. Basketball is all around them um, in this digital era. Um, who, Justin, who in the uh, Breakers team is the heartbeat of the team? Who's the one that has to lead it? Is it Abercrombie going into these next two games? Well, I know Jarrell Brantley obviously fouled out last night, and, and that was a real blow for the Breakers. I, I think Barry Brown Jr. Is, is the guy here that can get out and cause the most damage. Will McDowell-White uh, has really come on this season and is a star. Um, the, the Kings have put a lot of work into him, and they've shut him down since that, that opening game of, of the series. So I think Barry Brown Jr., I'm not sure how bad his injured hand is. He's, he's clearly not at 100%. You talk about Tommy. Uh, look, he is the sort of guy that could come out and just do something magical tomorrow night. He's been a part uh, of the game, part of the breakers. 
uh, bleeds for the team. We know what he's capable of doing. So it's not a bad call. He could be the one that comes out and just has a blinder and gets the team up. He's a true leader. Yeah, true leader, but you need those those players with a bit of experience and the heartbeat of the team. It's a quick turnaround, isn't it? Um, and, uh, you know, the players are important, but how important is it for the coach to change the strategy? I mean, you're saying that they need to go out there, throw the playbook away and just all guns blazing. It sounds like just go out there with no fear and just enjoy it. Take a risk. Yeah, and that's the way that I'd be approaching it. Um... Look, they, they would have picked apart the tape. The one thing that, that Modi and his coaching team have done well all season is when there's been a speed bump in the road, they don't dwell on it. They move on. Um, the problem is there's no moving on past tomorrow night if there's another speed bump in the road. So, you know, they do need to have a look at what Sydney's doing and what they're doing well. They need, do need to combat that. Uh, but I think they've just got to go out and have fun. They've really got to take the pressure off their shoulders. Just go out and have a fair dinkum swing. Uh, at the Kings tomorrow night. If they can get the win, hey, two all, game on, anything can then happen when it's down to a one-and-done game in a grand final series. Justin, we're going to leave you on this one. Are you going to put your house on the break as sending it to game five? Or are the Sydney Kings wrapping it up in Auckland? <laughs> don't know about putting my house on it. That's a bit stiff. I don't think the wife would like that, uh, that sort of Um Oh, look, I've been with the Breakers uh, right throughout the season, as we all have. I'm certainly not writing them off. I know that their best is good enough. What they've got to do is they've got to find their best in a real hurry. I hope they can do that in time for tomorrow night. I know that there's going to be a packed stadium. You know, to your words before, uh, Grant, it's the one thing about basketball right now is it knows what uh, industry it's in. It's in the entertainment industry. So it's going to be a packed house. A lot of people are going to go along and have a good time. And if the Breakers can win, it's going to be even better. I hope they get up. Oh, Justin, brilliant to have you on the show. Have a safe trip to, I think it was New York, you said you were going to. Hopefully when you get off the plane or hopefully there's a little bit of Wi-Fi on the plane so you can follow the game. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's great to have your insights. And let's hope for a, a breakers, uh, breakers win at the end of Game 5. I expect nothing less than the Air New Zealand pilots keeping us up to date on board all the way through, mate. So yeah, it'll be good. Hopefully <laughs> a win. Good on you. Thanks a lot, Justin. There was Justin Nelson um, speaking about the, the breakers and um, the final of the NBL. It's five five-game series, and they're trailing 2-1 at the moment to the Sydney Kings, who have been dominant in Games 2 and Game 3. Well, uh, we're going to take another break, and after the break, uh, plenty more on the Saturday session. Well, welcome back to the Saturday session. It's me, Grant Elliott, and producer extraordinaire and host uh, Ben Francis. Together, we are the Saturday session. No Daniel McCarty today. He's away. Um, doing what he does best, which I actually don't know. I think he's doing some football commentary, loves his footy, even though um, if it is true, the rumours, Liverpool lost 7-0. Did they win 7-0 or lost 7-0, Ben? Two things, Grant. He's at a wedding, I believe, and they won 7-0. Oh, so I got them both wrong. Well, there you go. He'll be calling me Goldie if he's listening um, and abusing me from afar. But uh, just great. We spoke to Justin Nelson um, about the breakers and the chances that they've got. They're 2-1 down going into game number four uh, here back in uh, New Zealand. So a tough time for them, but lovely to have his insight into 
the world of basketball. Um, something that we do um, on this show is we look at the bizarre, quirky, and odd from the sporting week called the Ocho. Um, so I'm going to kick it off here, Ben Francis. Um, found something here. An Australian fitness enthusiast set a Guinness world record by f- performing 8,008 pull-ups in 24 hours. Jackson Italiano, great name, attempted to break the record for the most male pull-ups completed in a 24-hour period in Sydney, New South Wales, in order to raise money for the Dementia Australia charity. Italiano attempted the record late last year, but it was just officially being confirmed as a world record by the Guinness World Records. Um, 8,000 pull-ups. The guy must have the back the size of a silverback gorilla. His hands look worse than yours, Grant. Oh, really? Yeah, we're still trying to get to the bottom of the stain that I've got. I'm not sure what the stain on my hand is. But anyway, that is incredible. I know that like the max pull-ups I've ever done in one go is sort of 17. Um, but that's full arm extension, so I don't know what Jackson Italiano's done, but what I will know is that he's in a world of pain and he'll be pretty stiff at the moment. Oh, totally, Grant. <laughs> I would not like to be in his shoes right now. Uh, now, many believe abs are created in the kitchen or by training, but a United Kingdom-based man challenged those uh, pre- presumptions by getting a six-pack of abs tattooed on his stomach. Oh, gee. <laughs> I mean, what is the world... Ca- well, I- I'm just picturing those guys um, from Liverpool that go traveling overseas to the all-inclusives and they've got those massive stomachs i mean would it work for that you have to have being reasonable nick to have a tattooed six-pack well the, the, ta- the tattooist grant his name is dean gunther and he said this guy who was unnamed he always wanted to have a six-pack but he's not too keen on going to the gym or doing diet so he decided that by getting a six-pack tattoo he will always look ready a uh, summer ready while being still able to enjoy beer and good food Oh, well, I mean, good on him. Good on him. Um, It's something a little bit bizarre. I'm going to go for something more mainstream here. And it actually happened uh, to me when we were in Scotland to to Colin de Grandheim. Shea uh, Wolves-Cobbs, he was the Australian that was missed after a bizarre moment during the final round of the New Zealand Open on Sunday when he struck two golf balls with his wedge. There's a video of it. One was his, but unbeknown to the Queenslander's second ball buried deep in the rough at Arrowtown's Millbrook Resort lay beneath as he eyed the green. It's a hilarious video, and uh, I don't think he got a penalty stroke for it either. So, uh, bizarre video, and there you go, Colin de Grandhomme. It can happen to you. It happens to the best of them. And we'll take a break, and after the break, uh, more from the Saturday Sesh. I don't know what's happened to our show intro, Grant, but this might be the new one for 2023. It's a bit of Michael Bolton. I don't know what's happened here. <laughs> this has really caught me off guard. <laughs> oh, well, welcome into the Saturday session. We're heading into Oh, the... we are live. <laughs> We're live there. We're I wasn't live. even sure. I was, I was just caught off guard there with Michael Bolton. I really, yeah, I didn't expect that. This, no, How can we be lovers, Ben? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, maybe it's just a nice reunion song because uh, maybe that was me just pressing the wrong button. But it's in our in our log we've got on the screen. It's got Michael Bolton in there. So, as I say, I'm I'm, I'm caught off guard, but maybe we'll try this. This is the Saturday session with Daniel McCartney on SENZ. Welcome back. Welcome back. That's more like a welcome back into the Saturdays. <laughs> no, that's why I didn't know if we were live or not. I went, oh, maybe, you know. Well, neither neither did I. It's been serenading me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's get into the headlines anyway. Well, Sri Lanka playing New Zealand in the first test at uh, Hagley Oval in Christchurch. Sri Lanka scored 355. We're in day three here in the first session. Unfortunately, uh, Michael Bracewell has just got out, um, and I'm going to tell you how he got out. It was a little tickle. He had a tickle at it um, and has gone uh, flatter and slides on outside the off stump. Bracewell stays back and has a poke at it. He gets the faintest of edges, so he edged it. Sorry, I had to go through that preamble. I don't have it on my screen here, but Ben Francis does. So he got uh, caught by a Dick Weller, bold Jayasuria for 25. So... That means Tim Southey's in with, um, uh, at the moment with Daryl Mitchell, who's just reached his 50. Congratulations, Daryl Mitchell. We need that. We need him to get a lot more than 50. We probably need him to get 80-plus to get even uh, close in this game. So headlines, the Sydney Kings have taken a firm grip on the NBL's championship series in front of the biggest crowd in NBL history. The Kings broke a run of five straight defeats for the home sides in matchups between the two clubs in 22-23 season by claiming a decisive 91-68 victory over the slumping New Zealand Breakers in Game 3 in front of a record crowd of 18,049 at the Kudos Bank Arena. Um, now, we spoke to Justin Nelson uh, earlier, and um, that was awesome to speak to him about the clash and how they have to keep the series alive. The Chiefs have continued their perfect start to the Super Rugby Pacific season with an impressive 28-7 victory over the winless Highlanders at FMG Stadium. Fullback Sean Stevenson scored a second-half double to sink the lowly visitors and solidify themselves atop of the table as early competition frontrunners. Meanwhile, the Melbourne Rebels upset New South Wales Waratahs 34-27. And don't forget to tune in to Bunnings Trade Rugby Run with Justin Marshall, Ricardo Ball, every Sunday from 1 p.m on SENZ. I must point out, we got a slightly shorter show tomorrow, uh, 1 till 2.30, because we're going to live coverage of the Wellington Phoenix game at 2.30. So only an hour and a half for the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run tomorrow. Okay, well, there you go. Yep. Um, but we do have something exciting coming up, don't we, Ben Francis? We've got um, something that I know, actually, I'm going to be honest here, bugger all about. I don't know anything. I know Shane van Gisbergen. You're a mo you're a motorsport expert, though, aren't you? No, I'm Formula One. I don't really know super cars yet, but I really want to pick the brains of Aaron Noonan, who's going to be speaking to us um, on SENZ. He's the SEN Supercars commentator. Um, so that would be fascinating, commentating that. But there's there's a lot of changes in supercars. I will tell you this. 67% of the downdraft has changed with the vehicles, which means it's going to be easier to pass because Van Gisbergen won uh, 21 races and quite convincingly last season. This season, 
It's going to be different. Different cars, different modifications. They look a little bit different. How's that for reading up on it, uh, Ben Francis? Uh, uh, I don't know what your skills and supercars are like. Uh, I well, I like watching Bathurst. I'm, I'm one of those people that enjoy enjoys the great race. And apparently, when I was younger as well, I went to the Gold, when I was at the Gold Coast a few times as well. But that was more when the supercars weren't the showpiece event. That's when they had the old IndyCar. Used to go to the Gold Coast. Apparently, I used to go to that when I was younger. But I don't have any recollection of it whatsoever. Uh, but uh, you know, you are the F1 expert. But so, but why not just clue up on all motorsport, mate? Like you've got you've got some of the same, so they all know each other. Supercars are usually there in Melbourne when the F, the Melbourne Grand Prix's on. They're all mates. Well, actually, I think SENZ should send me to the um, Melbourne Grand Prix, the Formula One, um, to upskill. But you know, it's a, it's like your cricket game, Ben Francis. You start off with the forward defence or the pull and the drive, and you just got to, you know, your repertoire. It just expands as your career develops. So I'm developing. I mean, rugby, super super rugby. When we had Justin Marshall on the show, how good having these experts and listening to them. I didn't know much about scrummaging. Um, is it called scrummaging? Scrums. Um, and now I understand the nuances of it. Um, so it makes the, watching the game that much better. And I'm fascinated to hear what's going to happen in supercars and just try and get in the minds of not only the, the athletes behind the wheel, but also, um, you know, for Aaron Noonan and the competition out there. So after the break, we're going to be speaking to Aaron Noonan. And if you've got some questions that you want to ask about supercars, and you're as clueless about it um, as me, then text in double eight double three or give us a call 0800 150 11 minutes after midday here on the Saturday session. Ben Francis in for Daniel McCarty and Grant Elliott is back. He is down in Wellington. I'm in Auckland. And uh, over across the ditch in Australia, the first supercars race of the 2023 season takes place tonight from the streets of Newcastle. And from 5.30pm tomorrow, you can hear live coverage of supercars with Aaron Noonan and James Moffat. And joining us now to chat all things supercars is our very own SCN commentator, Aaron Noonan. Aaron, how are you today? Great, gents. Good to chat to you. It's It's like the start of school all over again with a new supercar season, new looks, new cars, new venue to start off the year. It's, uh, it's exciting times and of course uh, new coverage with, with you guys in SENZ. It's going to be great. Yeah, well, Aaron, I used to actually not look forward to school but it sounds like you really are looking forward to school here. Um, it sounds like it's really exciting. Um, yeah, what's, what's so exciting about it? I, now, I must admit before you, you go on about how exciting the season is, uh, just a little bit of a disclaimer i know nothing about supercars but i did read up a little bit on it before you came on the show so i've done my homework um and i have got a few questions to ask but um before i ask you questions what's so exciting about this season and why should i get up for it well there's a perfectly good reason why i should get up for this because this year in supercars it's all new all the cars are completely new they've changed everything from what you knew about supercars last year so Gone are the Holden Commodores. Of course, unfortunately, the, the brand is gone, but the GM uh, fans have got a Chevrolet Camaro to cheer for now to take on the Ford Mustang. So it's the classic muscle car fight. Uh, they're all new cars. The teams have built brand new cars in the off-season. They're brand new engines. Everything's different. So we're probably expecting things to be really mixed up. So last year, we kind of went to every race and thought, you know what, Shane Van Giesbergen's probably going to win here. And more often than not, we were right. 
But this year, we just don't know what we're going to get. And that's the great part of a new season and a new era because this is a, a bit of a reinvention of supercars racing. And we've never opened the season here in the Newcastle Street Circuit before. We're in New South Wales in the Hunter region, uh, about two hours away from Sydney. And over the years, we've started in Adelaide so often. And this round was the last round some years ago, but it's been three years since we've raced here because of COVID. So everyone in this area is really enthused. The industry's been working very hard to put together this all-new cars, 25 brand-new cars for this weekend, a couple of swaps between teams with some of the drivers. We just don't know what we're going to get, and I think that's probably the most exciting part of a a new season and a a new era, which starts this weekend. So so something that I read about these cars, and you're discussing these, they're all-new cars. I mean, I look at them, and I'm like, four tyres, and, you know, they're all sort of working, but... um, they're cheaper to, to make and rebuild, which makes it easier for manufacturers to join the series, I guess. Um, but the jury's still out on that side of things. But also, the fascinating one I read was 67% less downforce, uh, which meant that obviously not as much turbulence behind the car, meaning it was, should be easier to pass um, and make racing a lot closer. That's the plan. Exactly right. Less downforce means the cars can't go fast around corners quite to the same speeds that they were previously, but it means they can follow the other car in front closer. And if you're closer to the car in front, you can make a move and try to get a pass done. Whereas the previous cars, uh, they were very difficult for the drivers to follow another car because of all the air that's coming off the back wing of the the preceding car, that it just made it very hard to get close enough to put a move on. So, yeah, with these cars, less downforce, they're they're a bit skatier, they're a bit more slippery, they're they're sliding around a lot more, and the drivers have got to really manage them a lot more, and they've really got to muscle them around the corners, and here in Newcastle, it's a street track, so there's it's a perm, uh, it's non-permanent. It's it's regular streets that are used week in, week out. So there's you know there's bumps and there's all sorts of camber changes and the road changes and it's not built to be a racetrack. Generally, when these roads were made, uh, it's there for street cars. So uh, these guys are going to earn their money and it's warm. It's going to be 33 degrees here today for the race, and tomorrow it's going to be 31 with um, with some rain potentially turning up. So they're going to earn their money this weekend. That's for sure. Yeah, so rain, obviously, um, you know, that must be tough conditions. But does the heat really make a difference? Is that like more a change of tyres? Well, the heat's an issue not just for the, the cars, but it's actually really for the drivers. Because yesterday at the end of three practice sessions, there was a press conference at the end of the day. And, and Shane Van Gisbergen made the comment in the, 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 the conference that he, it was the hottest he's been in a race car in as long as he can remember because mm. for the new cars, they've taken away... Um, the initial plan was to take away some of the heat shielding um, in them, but they've put that back in. Of course, the exhaust is very hot. His feet, he's a tall guy. He's, what, six foot four or so. His feet are right up against if he stretches off the pedals, he can touch his toes on the firewall. So that's where the, the heat's coming back from the engine. So supercars have already make, made the call to put that um, heat shielding in the cars. Everyone can do that. So it's a case of you know looking after these guys too because they're going out there in 50-odd degree temperatures on occasion in these cars and going and it's like going and you know driving a 250-kilometre race. It's an hour and a half or so race. Uh, their heart rate's up. It's really hot. They're, they're conditions that other athletes don't have to, to put up with for such a level of time. So the heat is a factor for the drivers. Uh, the cars have never raced before. So they've done a fair bit of testing, uh, but racing's a whole different thing. So... We're going into the unknown today, and that's the great part about it. We'll, we'll get a bit more of a read of who's who in the zoo at, at the end of today's 95-lap race. 
Aaron, do you have a favourite memory from the, the the Newcastle circuit? I think lots of people remember back to 2017 where uh, McLaughlin crashed into Craig Lowndes was it, on the final lap, which ensured uh, Win Cup got victory, and that is an, uh, such an iconic moment. But are there any other moments that stand out from the streets of Newcastle for you? Oh, that's the, that's the go-to one, is it? I mean, it's a memorable moment where the championship was decided at the very end, the very last lap of the very last race with you know, Scott you know, in the right position to cross the line and get the points he needed. Wink up winning the race, Scott being penalised post-race, the Lowndes incident. It was a classic supercar story of, of everything happening here. But we've had a few good races. I mean, it's been three years since we raced. 2019, the first event here was in 2017. So we've seen really DJR, you know, Dick Johnson's team, when it was with Penske and Triple Eight dominate the wins here. But Erebus did have a win here with David Reynolds a few years ago. And I've got a feeling we might... I reckon we're on for a bit of unique history. We might get a unique winner or someone unusual standing on the podium who doesn't normally run up there because it's a bit of a mixture for, for this weekend with who's where with these new cars. I don't think even the teams themselves know where they really are in comparison to their to their fellow teams in pit lane. But um, oh, look, there's been some really great memories here over the years, but I think that one is really hard to top. That 2017 title decider was off the charts. That's going to be hard to ever beat. Yes, sir, Aaron, I mean, you, you mentioned that the teams, you think that they've got a sort of idea where they, they sort of stand before the race. You're, you're not so sure. You think that, you know, we could have an, an unlikely winner. But as, a, as someone new to supercars, a supercar fan, newly found fan, do I support the brand of the car? Do I support the driver? Well, what, what do supporters normally do? It's an interesting one. It's probably changed over the journey. That very traditional tribal Holden and Ford rivalry was what the <laughs> yeah. yeah. The sport's been built upon that over so many years. Not just on this side of the ditch, but but over on your side when we've come and raced it at Pukekohe and, and Hamilton. I mean, that's been a huge passionate part of it. So I think there's still that brand following, but certainly I think it's more a case now of fans following their favourite drivers or teams and and sticking with them. So regardless of what car they're they're racing in. I mean, Chaz Mostert this year and Nick Perkat from the Walkinshaw team. For so many years, that team has been so heavily holden. And now they're Ford. They've made the big swap in the off-season. And it's interesting to see some of their fans wandering around this weekend. They're kind of torn. It's like, oh, it's our team. But hang on a minute. They're now fighting for the other brand. So it's a little bit of an interesting one. But I think you'll find that there's more driver and team support these days. But the, the manufacturer backing uh, and support is still there. But it's not quite as prominent as perhaps it once was. Once was. So after after yesterday, there were a few uh, trial runs. Are they called trial runs? Um, uh, practice sessions, qualifiers. Uh, was there anyone that really stood out for you? Well, the thing is, the Kiwis were faster going. We can't slow them down. They've been racking up the championships here with Van Gisberg in the last few years. Scott McLaughlin prior to that. But it was more Kiwis who were running quick. Van Gisberg and was fast. There were... Uh, three 45-minute practice sessions yesterday. Andre Heimgartner, the, the Kiwi who drives for Brad Jones's team in the Camaros, he was the fastest in the first session. Uh, Van Gisbergen was second fastest at the end of the day behind uh, Brody Kostecki, who drives for the Erebus team uh, in uh, Coca-Cola Camaro. Uh, so Brody Kostecki's probably a guy I'm, I'm really keeping an eye on. I think you should keep an eye on him this year. If you, if you don't follow the sport and you're looking for some new names to keep an eye on. Uh, Brody's now going into his third season in the championship. He's probably the next most likely driver to be the first-time winner of any of the drivers who haven't won a race in the championship. Um, and he's not afraid 
to put his elbows out. He races really hard, and he learnt a lot of that racing in the United States as a younger guy. And he's been in supercars for a few years now. He doesn't back down to anybody, and that Erebus team are very happy with the way that their their build of their cars has come together. Their early testing, and they've rolled out very well. And he was the fastest overall yesterday. So he's probably a guy to keep an eye on because a, a street track like this, where it's hard to pass in some areas, you need to really muscle. You need to make a a big, bold move, and you need to be forceful, he's definitely got those attributes as a driver. So he's a guy to keep an eye on. Car 99, and he's uh, he's flying the flag for Australia because there's so many Kiwis in this field here still, and they're all so fast. The Aussies, uh, it's been a while. In fact, Jamie Winkup winning that championship here back in 2017 is the last time an Australian driver won the Supercars Championship. So you've had the run of it lately. Uh, the Aussies need to respond this year, that's for sure. Well, that's interesting because I look at the um, the odds and Brody Kostecki, he's at $12. And we've got something on the show called Put Your House on It. Um, and I'm going to take my expert's advice. You reckon him for the podium? Let's uh, let's go with that. Let's put the caveat that I have uh, no control over any housing matters, and it's not my house. <laughs> uh, but asterisk next to it, just to be sure, because uh, supercars and motorsports, probably one of the most unpredictable sports, as we saw when we mentioned in in 2017, but he's a guy to keep an eye on. Uh, Van Gisbergen's young teammate, Brock Feeney, he won the last race of last year's championship. He's a guy to keep an eye on as well. There's a few young rookies who are coming into the championship for the first time this year. Uh, Declan Fraser is a young Australian driver who won the Super 2 Series last year, the, the feeder series. He drove at Bathurst with Craig Lowndes, and they finished in the top 10 as a wild card last year. So he's been really ill in the lead-up to... Uh, he ended up hospitalised and couldn't compete at the Sydney Test Session a few weeks ago. So he's a little bit behind in terms of the amount of seat time he's had behind the wheel. But I think it's a lot of the familiar favourites of supercars. For the Ford fans, Cam Waters at Tickford, Will Davison and Anton Di Pasquale driving for Dick Johnson. Dick's here this weekend. Of course, he's a legend on both sides of the Tasman. And he's, they're a stressed family, the Johnsons, because his grandson, Jet, is making his supercar debut this weekend in the Super 3 feeder series in a, a Nissan Altima. So... Uh, they've had to repair that car. He, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time in an accident yesterday, uh, but they're good to go, and they're going to roll out on the track very soon here, and you'll probably hear some supercars in the background, and that's those cars. But uh, still plenty of uh, plenty of familiar faces and names to follow in supercars across the way, and plenty of Kiwis for you guys to get behind too this year as well. Right, absolutely. Nothing like trans-Tasman uh, rivalry, and uh, it, it does sound like, this has probably been, is it fair to say, one of the biggest shake-ups in supercar um, uh, in the last sort of decade with the changes that they made? Oh, without doubt. It, it, I mean, the only thing that carries over from the previous cars that they finished last year's championship with is the gearbox. Otherwise, new chassis, new engines, new wheels, new everything right throughout it. So it's everything that the teams knew about their cars beforehand is erased, it's irrelevant, uh, it's the first reset we've had in 10 years and the last time we changed the car significantly, it brought a lot more teams back in. Of course, the big teams always end up, the good teams end up figuring out these cars, the cream rises to the top, but it takes a little while for that when you reset things. So that's why I think we'll see teams like the Erebus team, Brad Jones Racing, uh, some of these teams that might not have won many races over the last few years or for a while actually come into contention now. They might not be able to keep that going for a full season, but I think you might see some uh, winners this year that you don't normally see them win too many races. And I reckon Andre Heimgartner from New Zealand, he's a, he's well in that group. He's going into his second year with Brad Jones's team. Um, he's really experienced now. He's been a winner before a couple of years ago, 
and um, he's leading that team forward and showed some great signs last year. So uh, he's been fast in testing and fast here so far this weekend. So uh, I think he's one to keep an eye on for, uh, for all you Kiwi fans out there too. Aaron, what are the after parties like? <laughs> I'm getting a bit on in years. It's, uh, it's not really my scene anymore, but uh, there have been plenty of sensational supercars after parties over the journey. And Newcastle has turned on a few particularly given it was the last round of the championship there for a few years. But being the first round of a new era and a new season, I think everyone's pretty tired and has put in a lot of hours to get these new cars and get organised for a new season. So I don't think there'll be too many parties going on Sunday night. I reckon there'll be a few people having a a quiet lie down, maybe one or two, and they're done. (laughs) Unless they've had a win, and every time there's a winner, there's always a party to be had. But uh, Newcastle does know how to have a party. I can confirm that from a few years back. (laughs) <laughs> well, mate, I love how you've watered that down, and um, I, I want to become SEN's, uh, you know, supercar and motorsport specialist. I'm trying to get a trip over there. I'm trying my hardest. Uh, Formula One and supercar combo at some stage. Never know what will happen, but you're the experts. Great to have you on the show um, and hear your insights into it. Um, you definitely made me a lot more aware and passionate about the sport, and um, it sounds like anything can happen, and I'm going to watch out for Brody Kostecki. Um, but, of course, Shane Gisbergen, uh, Van Gisbergen, we'll see what happens with him. Uh, thanks so much. Appreciate your time, um, and enjoy the race. My pleasure. Look forward to bringing it to you all on SENZ, on uh, SEN Supercars on Sunday. It's going to be good one. Thanks, Aaron. Well, there you go. That was Aaron Noonan um, talking about supercars this weekend. Um, I must admit, didn't know a lot about it, um, but... Um, you know, he is the expert and has given us some great insight. After the break, um, we'll have a little bit of racing, I think. We've got uh, Clado and the Good Oil. We're going to have a race from Pukekohe. Um, and probably some sporting tips that you should run a mile from. 29 minutes away from 1 o'clock here on the Saturday session. We'll be going across to Pukekohe for race one. Uh, very, very shortly that gets away in about eight minutes. And then after that, we'll be catching up with Clado and the Good Oil team. Big day of racing today up here, Grant. Uh, they've got the Auckland Cup Group 2. And uh, there's also a Group 1 race, which name just eludes me off the top of my head. But uh, all the all the big horses running in that one. Well, I haven't, I haven't touched my TAB account um, until I sit in this seat. And now all of a sudden I look at it. We need to speak to Clado before these races. Uh, we can't cross to Clado afterwards just to try and give us a little bit of insight. That would be good. But I'm probably going to go for Aveline, um, which is at $8.40 for a win. Um, Daniel McCarty knows this. I like to back my bets, and I do I do place my bets uh, at the on the um, bet your house on it at the end of the show. So um, let's see what happens there. But um, that was that was great from Aaron Noonan, wasn't it? Um, we've had two really good, um, you know, dial-up experts in the show, uh, Ben, both basketball and supercars. So I think there's plenty of uh, bets to be made around those as well. Yeah, totally. Uh, you know, but breakers, you know, the must-win game in Auckland, and I think there's going to be a nice big crowd there uh, tomorrow, uh, and also the supercars. Uh, the event he was touching on that when I asked him about the moment in Newcastle, Grant, it's what it's when you watch it or when you reflect on it back in 2017 is what you want sport to be in terms of 
that literally down to the last second last second it was yeah. the la- final lap mclaughlin was pushing if he got over the line in a certain position he was going to win and he had a crash on the lap which then meant someone else was winning and that was the beauty that's like the beauty of sport that going down to those late late moments uh to determine the winner the, the risks that you're prepared to take in sports i think it like the risks that you're prepared to take mean that um, you have to be totally confident in, in obviously all the outcomes. A lot of a lot of athletes, and I say this from a cricketing perspective as well, is that you can go out there and you can try and sort of nerdle your way to 50, or you can try and take as many risks as possible to try and get that 50 as 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 quickly as you can. But it's that fear of failure and the outcome based. To be in the present um, in all sports is the most difficult thing to do. As soon as you take your eye off the present um, and you think more about the past, past failures, past successes, and future failures, future successes, if you you look at that in the, the future, that's going to have a massive impact on the mindset that you take into sport. So I, I love a sportsman that's prepared to put it on the line. As you say, Ben, when it comes down to that last moment and you just think, well, who's the one that's going to, I guess, crumble in a way. Um, and Kepler Vessels always said to me, he said, the team that uh, that can't cope with the pressure first will be the team that loses the game. Um, and I know that sounds obvious, but, you know, the game ebbs and flows and suddenly there's a moment where one of the teams just succumb to the pressure of it all. Um, and that's the beauty of sports. It's sustaining pressure with the opposition for as long as you possibly can, not crumbling, staying that present. Um. Yeah, that that that's right, Grant. And got a couple of texts here on double eight double three. This one from uh, Craig. To celebrate your obvious chemistry, he's obviously referring to us, Grant. I have a new nickname yeah, for obviously. Ben, whose initials are two thirds of BFF. Therefore, he is now forever. Forever, not a bad nickname, BFF. We could call you BFF. Do Do you want yeah. to know? Do you want to know one nickname I had when I during my Francis. illustrious sporting career? What was it? I I was known as the the baby giraffe. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Because I was very <laughs> elegant on my feet. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You you look like um you know you you're a big timber. Big timbers is tough to run with elegance, I think. Um, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> All right, we are 25 minutes away from 1 o'clock here on SNZ. We're going to take another break, and when we come back, we're going to have race one from Pukekohe. It's going to be a long afternoon, Grant, after he, I think he's Steve only Steve McKee. Yes. I know him, I know him, Clado. He was my trainer for passing shots, the only hoof I've ever owned. Yes, and he's a bloody legend, but, um, yeah, we started the day off right, on the man. wrong foot there with 007, so... Oh, it's going to be a long afternoon, but we've still got $1,000 in the Punters Club, luckily, so we'll be looking forward to spending that this afternoon. How is the Punters Club going? How confident are you? Have there been some big wins, some massive failures? Oh, always massive failures, but we have picked up the occasional being <laughs> here and there. You know what they say about a blind squirrel, Grant? But, yeah, no, we've um, yeah, we had a couple of clicks this year, so we're on the board. Old Dennis down there in Tawa, he keeps a running total of uh, how much we're spending and how much we're winning. In fact, we don't hear from him when we're winning, but 
No, it's always always a bit of fun, <laughs> bit of humour, and um, of course the Warriors kicking off this afternoon. But yeah, what a way to start the day! Thirty to one shot. We've got uh, Group One Racing today, Grant. So this is the epitome, the bone crusher, New Zealand Stakes. Can it be the old fella like us, defibrillate up against the young girls, Pro S, Black Creek, and Campion S has just been smoking along under the radar. And what about our old mate? Our old mate. I tip him to you every week, Chase. He's going around. And he's, he's picked up a couple of Group One placings lately, so he might he might just be good enough to run a place today. Even though the track's probably too good for him. First look around Pukekohe, Kate Hercock. I reckon he he might give them a bit of a fright, Chase. Yeah, we we need good weather, don't we, Kate? I think you know all those people up north that have uh, been uh, battling through. Uh, after the hurricane, but um, yeah, racing conditions, and that's always a positive. So you guys will be fizzing, and hopefully that ledger. I don't know what that ledger looks like. I didn't get much from that. Is it in the positive? Is it in the red um, or the black? Well, well Dennis from Tarwa, he'll be laughing in his little lazy boy there. But uh, no, it'll be in the red. It'll be in the red for this year. But hey, we don't go down well, without right. a fight. No, well, we were talking about risk and sports people that take risks and. Uh, I love the, the risks that you take, but also the insight that you go, guys give to the show. I'd love to be on your show one day and just wow. show you how an easy bet maybe could, <laughs> could get me through the day. Well, we can always take a couple of easy bets. You know, just you could show us up probably, probably be what happened, but it'd be good for but, you. And um, I mean, you've got Trentham today too, so, you know, you just bowl out of the studio and sort of mosey on along to Trentham and not have to buy a drink all day. Hey, well, you're always um, allowed up here. You're always invited to the Saturday sesh to come and show us your expertise, Clado. We'd love to have you here and take us to Trentham one day. Oh, looking forward to it, Grant. Hey, great to have you back on the airwaves too. No, thanks a lot. Great to have you on the show, Clado, and uh, good luck with uh, the good oil. So that'll be the good oil later on for all your uh, racing tips for all those racing enthusiasts. Um, and don't be scared to text them as well even if it is a little bit of abuse uh, towards Clado. Don't be mean, Grant. <laughs> oh, I love Clado. It's brilliant. Well, uh, it's even better that he's rocking the, the, the Warriors jersey today, so he's obviously, he's, he's obviously in the good mood. He's supporting the right team tonight. Well, I was going to ask him. I said, is this going to be the year? Is this the year? Because I, I know that after um, the first game, everyone said, this is the year. This is what we're going to do. Well, um, well, I don't. I don't you're, know. you're the Warriors enthusiast. Yeah, look, I don't think it's going to be the year per se, but once uh, kind of a theme of the show has been culture, and I think the culture is definitely a lot better than previous years. Uh, there was a there was a post on Facebook uh, last night after the the Broncos performance with Reese Walsh because he was used to be the fullback that was at the Warriors, and the question was, uh, would you take Reese Walsh or their current fullback, Charles Nickel Klugstad? And everyone was, it was a bit mixed. And then my opinion was I'd rather take Chance because for me, he's better for the culture. And to me, if you don't have a good culture, you're not going to win. Mate, I think you bang on there. I think you've got you to gotta be culture. You gotta, I will, I'll go back to the Black Caps. When things change, when fortunes change, it was because selectors went for the character of the people. Um, and that counts for, as you know, uh, probably... More than uh, and just talent. You need people to be able to click together. And, um, you know, one thing I guess we haven't really touched on too much is we touched on, uh, you know, the Chiefs versus the Highlanders um, last night. Chiefs looking dominant and the Waratahs Rebels. But what's coming up, Hey Ben? 
We've yeah, got a, well, a little bit of uh, a rugby coming up. We've got the Fijian Drua versus the Crusaders. Um, are we doing the sweepstakes this year? Because last year we did all right in the sweepstakes. I thought we'd beat Beaver. Uh, no, we, we actually are behind the eight ball, and that's just reminding me I completely forgot to do my picks this week, so that's me going for the season. Okay, well, yeah, well, we've got the Fijian Drua versus the Crusaders, and we've got the Hurricanes versus the Blues, and the Brumbies versus the Reds, Hurricanes, Blues, which is in um, my hometown at the moment. So the Blues have won four of their last six Super Rugby matches against the Blues. Uh, after losing nine in a row to them previously. However, they lost their most recent match against them, which also came away from home, 32-33 in February 22. The Hurricanes have won eight of their last 10 games when playing as the home team um, on the day in Super Rugby competitions, including their last three on the bounce. So there's a couple of stats there uh, for these games. I think that that one's probably the one that sticks out for me the most. I reckon the Hurricanes Blues, uh, Ben. Uh, Brumbies Reds is obviously, that's a, that's a big sort of normal, uh, quite an aggressive derby that gets played, uh, Brumbies versus the Reds. That's not a bad one too as well. Yeah, that's right. But what's, what, are you, what are you putting your house on, Grant, for the, for the Blues Hurricanes? What are you putting your money on? Well, interestingly, I was actually I was at a function and Geordie and Bowden were there, so it was quite funny to see the two brothers <laughs> that were going to be playing um, against each other. Uh, fascinating, but I mean, yeah, no, they were playing it off. Um, I don't know. I I want to say the Hurricanes, I really do, um, but I think this is going to be a tight one. Um, yeah, I think it does depend on uh, how Bowden Barrett plays I reckon because I thought Brad Weber everyone says Damien McKenzie had a great game the other day I thought Brad Weber was uh, exceptional even even with the Hurricanes being without Artie Savia yeah I think so um, I think that they they've got enough of a team that I think that they've um, you know after last year with the MPC there's a few players in there they've they've had a, a little bit of a taste of victory but um, we know what the Blues are like the Blues are a little bit like the Warriors aren't they sort of hot or cold. Um, I think the Hurricanes, home crowd, um, and hopefully a big crowd, let's get back and support them, Wellingtonians. We need the support out there. I don't know why Wellingtonians don't support the their, their sporting codes as much as they should. I mean, look at that basketball, 18,000 people um, at the basketball the other day for the Sydney Kings. Um, let's get out there and support the local teams. So, yeah, the Blues versus the Hurricanes, um, that will be... An interesting one, and that's at 7 p.m. tonight. Um, the other one, which I said will be a ripper, will be the Brumbies versus the Reds. That's always an aggressive game. Very, very um, aggressive, played up front. Now, if I look at some stats there, the Reds have won four of their last five Super Rugby games against the uh, the Brumbies. Oh, wow. Over three of those wins have come by the margins of just three points or fewer. Um, so it's always a tight contest, normally played up front. And they lost on their most recent visit to the Brumbies home ground. And that was in um, uh, March 2022. So, yeah, stay up for that one as well. That's at 9.35. So that'll be just after the Hurricanes and the Blues game. Yeah, so Grant, what are you putting your house on for your t- tips today? What What are you looking at? Looking at? Oh, okay, are we going to go into put your house on it? Yeah. Well. You know that I always go for the experts, right? Yeah. So it's all about the experts on the show. We had two experts. We had uh, Breakers. We had Justin Nelson. And we had Aaron Noonan. So um, the reason why I'm carrying on with such a 
preamble here is because I'm trying to find it and I'm trying to find the supercars. So it was Brody, um, I want to say his name, Kitsnetsky. I'll find it for you. Uh, one second, caller. Because Shane Van Gisbergen, obviously, um, you know, he's tipped at $2.50 to win it. But we got the hot tip that the Australian in the field, so it's mainly dominated by Kiwis, but the hot tip in the field was going to be for Brody Kostecki, sorry. And he's at $12, so I'm going to go Brody Kostecki for the win. For the win. For the win. There you go. From race one or race two or both? Well, that's race one. All right. I like it. Put your house on it, Grant. Put your house on it. Yeah, I don't know if I'll put my house on it, but uh, I do enjoy our, our experts. <laughs> and, what are uh, you going for, Ben? Oh, mate, well, a bit of a funny story. Tonight I was meant to go to a concert I've been waiting for for th- over three years, but uh, a horse I love and admire is running in race nine at Pukekohe. So that's why I'm heading out Who? there right now, Daytona Who's Red, that? in the Group 2 Auckland uh, Cup. I'm going to be on my hands and knees when it, and crying when it wins, paying $61. So I'm just going to go for that. Well, do take a photo when you're on your hands and knees crying. Um, fortunately, there were uh, people crying with laughter when you were playing um, George Michael songs during the, our show. <laughs> Great to have you listeners. Great to hear you, from you. And see you next weekend.